Hola todos, that's hello everyone in Spanish, just in case you didn't know. And welcome to another edition of Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. A look back at my career in radio and TV and a delve into my celebrity archive, looking back at some of the more memorable celebrity interviews that I've done over the past 30 plus years. Uh, this week, English singer-songwriter Ralph McTell, who wrote The Brilliant Streets of London, and then Jose Feliciano, responsible for a song which I heard every Christmas when I was living in Spain. Hence the hola todos at the beginning. Yes, that song is Feliz Navidad. Yep, you know the one. Uh, but first, Ralph McTell, who's been an influential figure on the UK folk music scene since the 1960s. As mentioned in the intro, he's best known for his song Streets of London, released in 1969, and which has been covered by over 200 artists. Yep, 200 artists around the world. He reached his greatest commercial success in 1974, when a new recording of Streets of London became a number two hit on the UK singles chart. Other notable compositions include From Clare to Here, a ballad about Irish immigration. And in the 1980s, he wrote and played songs for two TV children's programmes, Alphabet Zoo, followed by Tickle on the Tum. Don't remember that one. I'm not sure it'd be allowed these days either. He also recorded Keith Hopwood and Michael Rowe's theme song, Cosgrove Hall's adaptation of The Wind in the Willows. When we chatted in 2002, he was promoting his new album at the time called National Treasure, and I wanted to know why he'd chosen to call it that. Billy Connolly, who's an old mate of mine, dis described me thus, and um, my manager is the uh, same manager as manages Billy, and he said, I just acquired a national guitar, and it's a special kind of instrument. Um, it's a bit long-winded, this answer, but it's a, bit, it's a metal guitar, you know, with a plate, a resonator plate inside it, which uh, was very popular in the 30s, and a lot of the blues players used to use it. So he coined the phrase, you know, he coined the phrase national treasure for the album and mm. so do an album with the national and we'll call it national treasure guys so it sounds a bit twee to me you know but anyway that's what it's called and uh, we're out there playing a bit of stuff from that but of course you know with all the other records and all the other songs it's um, mm. it's only part of the show okay and the new album what sort of music is it I've been describing it as the album I should have made first. Of course, uh, uh, it's it because it's an acknowledgement, really, as much as anything else, to all the my un, you know the guitar teachers I never met. Like, um, you know, I, I first wanted to be a guitar player, so these are songs by Woody Guthrie, Blind Blake, um, Robert Johnson, fairly obscure names, but hugely influential. Uh, musicians and writers and uh, I sort of they all came together on this album I did a blues album before which sort of acknowledged that but this is much more um, beginnings if you like but uh, you know and they're not just black musicians there's a few white composers and guitar players as well represented and I just recorded it at home uh, with a new digital machine and did some overdubs myself and had one a couple of friends play on one or two tracks and my son produced it for me and he played on one track and my daughter sang on one track 
Fantastic. You mentioned your mate, Billy Connolly. Um, mm. I'm thoroughly enjoying his series at the moment, uh, oh, traveling good. around, uh, what's it called? The World Tour of England, yeah, Wales and Scotland. Right. I-, I could see you doing something like that. Well, I think Billy's done it as uh, better than almost anyone could do it. And I, I mean, I've like Billy. Billy says to me, I'm, I'm British first and Scottish next. And I guess I am the same. I'm British first and English next. But I love the idea of, of the, the cultural diversity of these islands represent and and how they've each you know nation com- has you know contributed to our our national character and mm. billy i think who's probably the most famous scotsman in the world today apart or perhaps after sean connery i don't know he certainly i regard it i'm in my life i've been fortunate to meet some wonderful people but very few geniuses uh, or genii whatever the word <laughs> is but billy's one He's a genius. He's not just a, a wonderful comedian, uh, which is he's taken to the level of art form, I think, as well as not losing the common touch. But he's got an insight and a perceptions of things which delight and amaze and amuse him. And, and that's what he's able to communicate to us and make us yeah. look at things in a different way. So uh, I'm a huge fan as well as being a mate, you know. Yeah. I'm, and do you play together quite often? I wish we played more. Billy and I, when we get together, we always play. He's always got a banjo lurking in the back of his car somewhere. He, he's, and, and when we're not, until re- fairly recently, when he made great strides on the playing his banjo, he's a very accomplished musician. Yeah, yeah. He'd ring me up from L.A., and, uh, um, where he lives most of the time. He says, have you got a minute? And I knew what would be coming next. And he'd say, <laughs> I'd say, yeah, Bill. And he'd go, what do you think of this? And then he'd pick the banjo up and play me the latest <laughs> tune down the telephone. And uh, thankfully this time we got a very brief um, moment together in the studio he's very nervous in recording studios but we managed to tie him down and recorded such wondrous classics as daisy daisy give me your answer to <laughs> and one or two other things for the program and uh we had some a great evening and, and a nice curry in the uh, afterwards and uh, fantastic he went off about his business when i um said upstairs that i was talking to ralph mctell they all said oh yeah streets of london do you well, get fed up with that To be perfectly honest, I do get sometimes fed up when it dominates everything. I mean, there's so much other so much other stuff to talk about, but it is a bit of a monster, I have to say. But it's been a a gentle giant, if you know what I mean. It's opened doors for me. It's taken me around the world. It's introduced my music to loads of people that would not have otherwise have heard it. The only problem I do have is uh, sometimes a small regret is that uh, I would have liked I would have liked the media to have been more kind to me and played a little bit more of my other stuff. I don't expect it to compete with Streets of London or the effects, but it is a blip in my graph, and I would rather look at some of the flatter lines than just a little peak, you know. Yeah. Um, because I continue to to strive to write and and have songs of of quality and 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 uh, I don't believe in wasting time or or people's listening time. There's so much stuff thrown at you these days. So I'm I'm fairly selective, and I would like. You know, I'm always very pleased when somebody plays something other than that on the radio. So, um, whilst acknowledging that, you know, that's a big, a big song. Ralph McTell. Incidentally, in the same year, 2002, when I interviewed him, another highlight for him, besides talking to me, of course, (laughs) was being presented with the prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award at the BBC Radio 2 Folk Awards.
Now, Jose Feliciano is a Puerto Rican musician, singer and composer. He has had many international hits, including his rendition of The Doors' Light My Fire and the Christmas single Feliz Navidad. In the United States, Feliciano became popular in the 1960s, particularly after his 1968 album Feliciano, and it reached number two on the music charts. So far, he's released over 50 albums worldwide in both English and my second language, Spanish. Café con leche, por favor, and all of that. (laughs) In this extended interview, we chatted extensively about his career, but I began by asking him about his childhood, which wasn't an easy life for him and his family, especially as he was born blind. Well, I was born uh, to uh, a poor family. I was born in poverty in Puerto Rico. I I, uh, came to the States uh, when I was five years old in 1950. I was born in 1945. And, uh, well, I was always surrounded by music. I had uh, an uncle who was musical, and when I was three years old, I would accompany him on a tin cracker can, and and, uh, that's when I knew that I had a knack for making music out of anything. So then I learned to play the harmonica at the age of four, and at the age of five, uh, I went to New York uh, to live in Spanish Harlem. And um, at the age of seven, I learned to play the squeeze box, the accordion, Mm. concertina actually and then i learned uh, at the age of nine i started to learn to play the guitar uh it took me a while of course but i would practice all the time a friend of my father's gave me my first guitar and i would practice on that and uh i would listen to the radio and uh, i was listening to rock and roll then and uh, i would learn from listening to the radio that was probably a very good decision to learn the guitar. Oh, most definitely. I I love the instrument. I don't think there's an instrument quite like it. I know pianists would probably beg to differ with me or whatever. I think you are a, a slave to your own instrument, and um, I'm a slave to the guitar. I love the guitar. Mm. You You come from a large family. Yes, I do. Well, we were a family of 11 boys, but three did not survive, so now we're eight brothers. And uh, it was a large family. And it must have been very hard um, for your for your parents, you know, to feed you all and, and that sort of thing. Well, it was because um, my father, unfortunately, uh, never really got uh, a scholastic education. Uh, my dad was brilliant, actually. If my dad had been able to go to school, I think he would have gone very far. Because when he came to the States, he taught himself how to read uh, read and write English. And uh, to me, that was amazing that he could do something like that without ever going to school. Mm. That must have been a huge decision to uproot and emigrate to America. It was. Um, at the time, my father had gone to New York oh, a year or so before and had landed a job. And then he sent for us. Um, and of course, uh, his sister, my aunt, uh, helped him. Uh, she, uh, she had... Uh, a small apartment, which was the apartment we moved to. And she, in turn, got herself a bigger apartment, her and her husband. She was a seamstress. Mm. Uh, and, of course, uh, her, uh, her husband was a cook uh, in a restaurant. So it was um, it was one of those things. I know you, you were very young at the time, but can you remember, you know, mm. your sort of first day arriving in America? Well, I do remember the first winter that I spent in America, it was something um, I did not comprehend because in Puerto Rico, it never gets cold. And when we went to New York, uh, we went to New York in the late summer, 
So I thought everything was going to be like Puerto Rico. And then winter came. Uh, winter in 1950 was really, really cold. And I remember my aunt getting me uh, what we call a snowsuit. And that was uh, really something because we suffered from the cold. And that I think that kind of made it so that uh, even today, I don't like winter. Really? Yeah. Um, you had to earn a living at a, a young age as well. How did you go about earning money? Well, I earned money by uh, playing music. Uh, my first job was, the, uh, was with the accordion at the age of nine while I was still learning the guitar. I worked uh, in a theater in uh, New York City called the Puerto Rican Theater. And um, I earned money that way. Or when um, uh, with the accordion, I would play with certain bands and earn a little money. And then with the um, when I learned the, to play the guitar fairly well, I earned money that way. And then um, in my teenage years, I started working in Greenwich Village, and that's why I earned some money to help my parents. And they used to pass the hat around, didn't they? That's what they used to do in those clubs. It wasn't begging or anything like no, that. No, 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 no. Since they couldn't serve um, alcoholic beverages in those places, they passed the hat for the entertainers. And how much would you get on a good night? Mm, not very much. No. I would say if, if we ended up with $10, we were lucky. Really? And the other thing was that we had to split it with, uh, like, for example, I used to work with Richie Havens. Wow. And so if I made $10, Richie got five and I got five. <laughs> oh, and that me. was it for, for a while. Till I then, uh, when I was about 19, I landed my first recording contract on RCA Records. A producer uh, who was at RCA found me at a place called Gertie's Folk City. He came to see a folk group because, you know, folk music was mm. happening in the 60s. Mm. And so he signed me. This was in 1964. Mm. You were born blind. That must have made it even tougher for you. Well, I don't know if, if it made things tougher. I think it gave me more determination that I didn't want to wind up like a lot of uh, blind people did then, uh, either by having a newspaper stand or maybe begging on the streets. I didn't want that. I, I thought there was something better for me out there. And so I thank the Lord that music was the thing I could turn to. And being blind, do you think it's easier to learn to play instruments because you're more in tune with the music? You, your hearing is more well, sensitive. What? Uh, <laughs> no, um, I'll put it to you this way. I, I don't know if it made it easier for learning because... Um, not having sight, I don't know what the other side is like, but I will say that because I couldn't read music or whatever, I had to concentrate a lot more on what I was learning and doing than somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, I think also uh, that maybe being blind helped me to really learn my instrument because, for example, if you, know, if you notice like certain sighted artists like Elvis Presley, uh, never really learned to play the guitar completely. Mm. He learned a few chords mm. and he strummed it and that was it. Whereas I knew that in order for me to succeed, I had to try and be a virtuoso on guitar. I couldn't just strum three chords and move my hips and, and do that kind of thing. So I think from that standpoint, maybe being blind did help in that, uh, that I knew that I had to be the best that I could be in whatever instrument I was uh, playing. And of course, being that it was a guitar, uh, I had to be the, the best in my mind. And I used to listen to Segovia, John Williams, 
Julian Bream mm-hmm. uh, in in the classical department. Those were my heroes. And um, and then uh, in jazz, well, that was something else in the '60s. Charlie Bird, Django Reinhardt, Johnny Smith, Charlie Christian. I mean, yeah. it goes on and on. I listened to every guitar player that I could, so that I could learn certain things from them. All great names, and mm-hmm. now you rank right up there with the best of them. Um, well, I, I think it's nice that the press thinks that, but uh, <laughs> I don't feel that way. I, I'm just one of many. Well, well, let us you know <laughs> heap the praise on you. Well, thank you. Um, when success came, it was it was fairly quick, wasn't it? I've been bashing about, as they say, uh, in the village for quite a few years. When I first signed with RCA, uh, my first three albums were not successful. It wasn't until 1966 when I started recording uh, Spanish music in Argentina mm. that I had my first taste of success. And when that success came, how did it change your life? Well, it changed uh, it changed my life, but it didn't change me. Mm. Uh, and by that, I mean, I didn't become big headed. Uh, I know that um, I always realized that um, you go the same way you came. I came with nothing and I'll leave with nothing. Uh, so from that standpoint, it didn't change my life. But it did change my life that in 1966, I had the screaming girls. <laughs> I had to learn to run into a limousine uh, and things like that. I never expected that. I always thought that that was for the Beatles or Elvis Presley or Frank Sinatra. But I never thought in my wildest dreams that Jose Feliciano would be a victim of that. You were and a hit with the ladies, weren't you? I, I was. I was. And that was a, that was an amazing thing for me as well. And it must have brought some very nice benefits. Yes, very much so. I have um, three children and a very wonderful wife. And I think that was one of the great benefits of uh, uh, being... Um, Uh, accepted by the ladies Mm. we'll talk more about that um, after we hear some music and uh, I'd just like you to introduce this first song that we'll hear it's one of your biggest songs yeah uh, I'm very happy to say uh, I was uh, I recorded this in 68 I first heard it in 1967 by the doors I love the song at once at once and I put it in my own style with a Latin flavor and it was the first time that a nylon string guitar was used on a ro- on uh, on a rock and roll record. Mm. So, ladies and gentlemen, light me fire. I just want to um, ask you about um, your family. Um, coming from humble beginnings, do you spoil your children? Um, my wife spoils them. I, my children, uh, when I try to tell them uh, about my circumstances, they're always saying to me, oh, Dad, don't tell us your poverty stories anymore. And uh, because they have no concept. they lucky for them that they were born to a successful parent. And they didn't have to go through what I went through, but I tell them. And I've taken my kids to poor sections of town. They've traveled with their mother uh, to Europe and, and seen uh, the side of the pilgrimage because my wife is very uh, religious and she takes them on religious uh, pilgrimages. Mm. But um, I try to exp- uh, explain to my children that money doesn't grow on trees 
And I want to teach them the value uh, of a dollar because uh, it's important that they don't feel superior to anybody because mm. in my mind, they're not. Are any of them following your footsteps and learning the guitar? Uh, well, yes. As a matter of fact, I have a son who's a drummer. Wow. And he's learning to play the guitar as well. And then his brother is a tremendous bass player, and he's only nine and a half years old. Wow. And I jam with them, and it blows me away that I'm able to jam with my children. Uh, Johnny is, uh, his, Jonathan is a great drummer. He's tremendous. He's, uh, he's 14 years old, and he plays like an adult. Mikey, who is nine and a half, is uh, great on bass, and he picks up anything you teach him right away. So I'm blown away by these two boys. Uh, my daughter, well, she's, uh, she was the firstborn, and I love her to death. And she was studying ballet. Now she is uh, studying Irish step dancing, and, um, and she listens to music, and she's, uh, she wants to be uh, a publicist someday. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see where that goes. You've almost got a whole band there. You should be I out do. on the road together. Well, I don't know. Um, their mom doesn't... I, I get the feeling that their mom doesn't want them to have the kind of life, let's say, that I have. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't know. Um, if they want to be in music, I will support them. Yeah. I will, yeah. of course, support them and embrace them. Uh, unlike uh, I've seen uh, the fathers of... Uh, the sons of some famous fathers who don't embrace them in in that type of endeavor but i will yeah you've got a star on the hollywood walk of fame yes i do uh and i feel very lucky to have something like that because um, they're not easy things to have no they're and, not uh, <laughs> so i mean again it always uh, makes me look at the little puerto rican kid that came all the way from puerto rico and now has a star in hollywood it's it's an amazing thing do you ever go back uh, home i do go back to puerto rico um i don't go as often anymore because i used to go because my mother lived there but my mother passed away a few years mm. ago and so but i do go because uh i want to stay connected to my roots i love the island i love our people and they've given me a lot, so I do go and visit. Mm. And you have worked with some of the, the biggest names in music. Um, I have, yeah. I've worked with like with John Lennon, for example. Wow. Uh, when he was doing uh, his uh, some rock and roll album, I really enjoyed my time with John, though it was brief, um, and it was during his famous L.A. week, and so. Uh, the time I I saw John, he was a, a bit crocked, you know. <laughs> But he was charming and a very nice man. Uh, and I've met Paul McCartney, whom, uh, as a matter of fact, I met Paul McCartney when he was starting Wings. Really? Uh, I, I met him in Manchester. I, I have to say, I really, really love Linda McCartney. I thought she was charming, yeah. talented, and very caring. And, uh, and Paul was uh, Paul. Was Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, a bit cheeky, but very nice. Is there anyone you haven't worked with who you'd like to? Well, I'd like to work someday maybe with Eric Clapton or um, of, of the Britishers. Uh, uh, I enjoy um, uh, Jeff Beck. Yes. Is a really, I think, a very uh, underrated guitarist. I, I love what he does. Um, and as I said, I'd like to work with Eric as well and, and some of the British acts. I'd like to... Uh, I would have liked to have worked with Luther Vandross, but he passed away. Mm. Um, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of great acts that I'd like to work with. And uh, home life, uh, you still live in America. 
I do. I live in Connecticut in New England, and I have my own recording studio. Wow. I love the fact that uh, technology has changed to where one could have, you know, your own studio. In the old days, to have those big machines and stuff like that was very difficult. And now, with a computer and a few speakers and good microphones, um, you can record professionally, and I love it. Yeah. Um, you have the money to, to be able to afford that sort of thing. What other luxuries? And it's, it's, it's not as expensive as, as you would think. No, no. You know, with, uh, with let's say with $25,000, you could get yourself uh, a darn good studio. Really? Mm-hmm. As little as that. <laughs> as little as that. Yeah. What other luxuries do you like to buy yourself with your vast amounts of money? I, <laughs> um, are you into um, big houses and, and things like that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a simple person. I, I'm not into, if I buy any luxuries, they're all musical. Really? They all have to do with the music. Yeah. And how many guitars do you have, Jose? I have about um, 30 guitars, but they're all different. Yes. Like I have a Rickenbacker 12, electric 12. I have a Guild 12, which is an acoustic one. Uh, I have a Gibson Les Paul, and I have a Gibson ES30. Uh, I have a banjo. I play. I also play bass, and I have uh, percussion instruments because I play percussion. So I have a, a whole barrage of things that I can do. Jose Feliciano. He met his second wife, Susan Omelian, a young art student in Detroit in 1971. After becoming friends and dating for 11 years, they married in 1982. They've got three children, a daughter, Melissa, and two sons, Jonathan and Michael. And he and his family live in Connecticut, somewhere I also know quite well, having lived there for six months many years ago. But that's a story for another day. And I promise I'll also do a special podcast about the six years I spent in Spain working on radio and TV and all the great people I met there and some of the great experiences I had as well. Well, the ones I can talk about anyway. Now, next week is episode 20 of my podcast. I can't believe we've done 20 already. And it will also be the last of these look backs at some of the great singers and musicians who I've met over the years. And we're going to go out with a bang. Yes, we'll conclude with the great pianist Richard Clayderman, Marty Pello, the lead singer of Wet Wet Wet, and the Seekers, Judith Durham. Just going back over your career, what, what are some of the, the big highlights? Oh, well, certainly the, the years with the, the Seekers were absolutely brilliant. Um, we arrived here in 64. <clears throat> we had our first hits in 65. And uh, reaching number one with our first record was mind-boggling. We didn't expect that to happen at all. That's next week on Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. <laughs> <laughs>